Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest on West Coast Live is a, a chess master. He's also a Tai Chi martial arts master. His, uh, his life as a child prodigy was profiled in a book that his father wrote called Searching for Bobby Fischer, and it was later made into a movie. And the attention from that book sort of changed his life in, in many ways. But also he discovered that there are other things in the world for him to do besides just play chess. And as a young 17-year-old have to sign teenage admirers' stomachs with an autographed pen at chess tournaments. It's and a you tough thought chess life. was a it's stuffy a sport, life. right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's written a book called The Art of Learning because he tried to find what was the common theme between becoming so good at martial arts and being so good at chess. And he decided that it wasn't that he was good at particularly either, but that he was a good learner. So he's written a book about it. A Journey in the Pursuit of Excellence, The Art of Learning. Please welcome Josh Waitzkin to West Coast Live. There's an overlap between uh, uh, your book and Michael Chabon's in that, in that uh, the detective doesn't like chess. His father was played in main play. But there was a word that you both share in the, in the, in the book, and it's that word that means when you're, when you're uh, in a position where you can't do anything, I think, but, but lose. Zugzwang. Zugzwang? Zugzwang. Yeah, that's a tricky moment in chess where both players are paralyzed, and the one who has to move. Mutual Zugzwang is one of the most interesting phenomena in chess where you create this very sophisticated position where both players want the other one to have to move. And if you move, yourself, your position self-destructs. So end games, which are some of the most interesting elements of chess, often we reach a position where you put your opponent in Zugzwang, where it's his move, he has all these aggressive ideas, but anything he does will actually make his, make his position worse. Because at a high level, what happens in chess is not that you, you can't just go ahead and beat your opponent, but you end up building the tension in the game. And the tension gets larger and larger, and it's like the two minds are on the verge of explosion. And the person who usually wins the game is the person who's more at peace with chaos or who can sit with tension better. And the other player has this kind of mental implosion and releases the tension, something like Zugzwang. And then when that tension is released, the other player is able to take advantage of it. And so in martial arts, you must have the same phenomenon as well. Absolutely. That, that's something which I've translated over from chess into the martial arts, the idea of, of basically heightening the tension, the complexity of the game until the other guys mind, being, you know, because in chess your whole psyche is involved. And it's true in the martial arts as well, although you have to take, deal with all these intense physical components. But essentially what I've come to is the idea that, that they're the same, that any discipline that you do is connected by these thematic principles. And that's been, a, that's a large part of what I wrote about in terms of exploring these principles of learning and performance psychology and also of, of competition that breaks down the walls between chess and the martial arts, two things which most people would think are about as different as could be. Unless you see the Harry Potter movie where the, the chess figures actually sort of take on martial arts roles and go after the, the students. Well, you, you wouldn't believe how much that happens in chess tournaments. Like, yeah. I, I've had, it's unbelievable. I had a Russian rival um, for years who used to kick me under the table in the critical moments of games, which you, you didn't think it, but in world championships in chess, the people will do that. In the critical moment, you're 15 minutes into a deep thought process. You have to make a decision. Everything is on the line, and suddenly you're taking multiple leg kick combinations under the board. So <laughs> Harry Potter wasn't that far off. So is there any kind of like a penalty for that or, or, or you know, you say that's rude or a, a referee who steps in and... 
Well, there is, but the, the, of course, that's under the table, so it's hard to see. And then if you stand up and you go to the referee and you say, but this is happening, they've won the psychological battle. They've taken you out of your thought process. And what I've come to, and I've run into this in martial arts competition, the corruption was, if anything, worse, to be honest. And what I've come to is the idea that you have to use that adversity, use that corruption or the dirty opponent or whatever you're running into. I've had earthquakes in critical moments of world chess championships in India, that kind of experience, broken hand in martial arts competition against someone 70 pounds bigger than me. These types of moments are ones which you can ultimately use to channel into a heightened state of intensity. And so if you look to the judge or to somebody else to make the situation better for you, then you're leaving the zone. You're leaving your, your performance state. So if, for example, in chess tournaments, if someone kicks you under the table or something ridiculous like that, if you go to the official, they'll have a time penalty on the board. They'll lose two or three minutes on their clock, or you will as well. But that doesn't really matter. What matters is they've taken you out of your thought process. So you have to channel it deeper. So, so help us here as, as, as the audience, people yeah. who live in earthquake country. How can, <laughs> how can we use an earthquake to focus the intensity of our thought? Or do you think it just happens? Well, it happened to me in, in, you know, when I was 18, 19 in India, but it all started when I was 10, 11 years old. And I wrote about this in the book, how you know, I was a young kid playing in mostly adult chess tournaments. And my opponents were people who could sit for six or seven or eight hours. They were much older than me without much problem. But I was, you know, when you put that kind of pressure on a young mind, strange things happened. And one thing that happened to me was that I used to get songs stuck in my head. But you know, I'd be playing against a very strong chess master, and I have the theme song from Scooby-Doo rattling away in my brain, <laughs> which is, it's not ideal. And I tried to block it out. I tried to, and the more I tried to close myself off from outside distraction, the more it, it, it became like a telltale heart, a, a ticking chess clock, or someone whispering, a spectator whispering in the audience. It would, it really started to torture me. And for a long time, this was a problem for me. And then I came to the idea of thinking to the beat of the song. And for example, if you're playing a chess tournament in a convention hall, often there'll be next door a wedding or something like that. And if, it's, if the walls are pounding with the percussion, you have to ultimately let your mind, at least this is what I did, move to the rhythm of whatever was coming. And so I began to use that type of experience. And then I started training at it. At home, I'd be, you know, my poor parents and my sister, classical music, rock music, pop music, whatever. I, for a period of time, I was listening to these booming Kyuto monk chants while I was studying chess. And it's like, oh, 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 oh. yeah, exactly, that stuff, yeah. And my sister, oh, she was like eight years younger than me. She was like, I guess, seven at the time, going crazy with the whole apartment shaking. But I was working on channeling whatever came at me to my advantage. And then ultimately in this moment in India, for example, I had, there was an earthquake that everyone started running out in the middle of the most intense moment of my game. There are people, fans, players, everyone started running out, but I stayed, sat with the position for about 15 seconds, and I came to this amazing in innovation that ultimately won me the game. So that's been a movement that in my competitive life in both disciplines, it's been very important, the idea of, of channeling negative experiences or distractions or whatever it is into working for me in the performance psychology, but also in the long-term learning process. What about the uh, similarity then in, in, uh, with, uh, with, with martial arts? Uh, is there a, a middle game and an end game in, in those competitions in, the, in a similar way? And could you describe the physical aspect of this sport that you do, this, this form of Tai Chi? Well, the, the, the competitive push hands internationally is basically you're in an, a big ring, 18-foot diameter ring, and points are scored for throwing someone on the floor or out of the ring. So you think of Tai Chi as this beautiful moving meditation, which it is, but then the martial aspects of it, you know, when, you, when you're competing in these world championships, it becomes incredibly intense, world-class athletes basically trying to tear off your limbs, throw you on the floor, get you out of the ring. And, and for me, I always related to chess as the study of numbers to leave numbers. You're working on all these incredibly technical ideas, but then the numbers fall away and you have the sense of flow. And it's much more like a wave lapping against a beach or a bird flying than it is math or, or numbers. And then martial arts for me has been technique to leave technique. You're doing this incredible physical training. 
I train six hours a day on the mats when I'm when I'm getting ready for you know in the years before a major competition, and then all that technical information, all that physical work gets internalized, and then you have that same sense of flow that you have in the chess game when you leave the numbers behind. So you're dealing with all this pain, you're dealing with all this incredible fierceness, but ultimately you have this sense of flow. For me, the martial arts, a lot of the martial arts training is about getting the body out of the way so the mind can play the game. So what kind of spiritual schooling do you give yourself? Well, I had a, a period of crisis after the movie came out about my life, when I was 17, 18, 19, where I found myself living to play up to other people's expectations instead of my own love for the game. And I got involved in, in Buddhist and Taoist thinking. And, and I, um, I left the country for a while, I lived in Eastern Europe, traveling, playing chess tournaments, and reading Lao Tzu and Buddhist texts. And then I went to Colombia and started studying Buddhism very intensely. So I'm, I'm not, in terms of my own meditative life, that, that's been very important for me. And it also helped me get my priorities straight. I had to leave competition for a while to come to a relationship to competition, which is fundamentally about internal growth and not about the glory or not about the... I'm, I don't do this for the accolades. I do it for, for the, you know, I, I found that putting myself on the line and under fiercer and fiercer and fiercer conditions helps me take on the fundamental aspects of my relationship to the world most, most purely. And is that where you think you do your best learning in those moments of tension? Yes, yeah, I, I found, you know, it's very easy to, one thing I talk about and, and I wrote about extensively is an idea of, of focusing on the long-term learning process instead of focusing on your initial, like, ambitions, trying to win all the time, always playing for glory. But on the other hand, the other side of that is sometimes people say they're not going to compete, they're not going to put themselves on the line because they're, they've somehow transcended ego. But what I've found is that most people who say that are, in fact, protecting their ego more than anybody else. And for me, it's been a constant vision of, of putting myself on the line, working on my ideas, my craft, whether it's chess or the martial arts, and then, and then putting myself out there. And what I find is that I'm, I'm learning when I'm under incredible pressure, not only about the technical aspects of the game, but about my personality. Because you know, if there's anything that I've learned in this kind of life in the trenches that I've lived, it's that if, if in the learning process, if you haven't been honest with yourself, if you've swept something under the rug in your introspective process, it's gonna come out under pressure, because it just does. If you haven't taken on some kind of life issue, some ability to sit with tension, some need to control everything, some need to have everything planned out from the beginning, then when the pressure's on, when you have an earthquake or when you have a corrupt opponent or where you have just incredibly fierce complexity to deal with, you're going to self-destruct. So competition for me has, has more than anything allowed me to have a relationship to learning which is genuinely honest. And what happens when you're not in competition? Right. Where, where, what happens when the pressure's off? Where does your mind go? What do you, what do you find yourself doing? Well, I've been writing this book. I, I, I mean, my passion isn't for competition. My passion is for learning. And I haven't competed since I won the world championship in the end of 2004. And after that, I felt this need to step away from competition and to um, think about the ideas that I've been working on for a long time. And I'm, I, I was writing this book. I have a, a wonderful girlfriend who I, I live with. And um, I have a, a very wonderful, peaceful life. And, you know, for me, competition, if it ever became about competition itself, I would stop doing it. Uh, right now, I'm actually preparing. I'm, I took myself, and, and after I won the world championship, I wanted to be a beginner again. So I started working on this new discipline, this martial art, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is very different from anything. And I plan to start competing soon and aiming for the 2010-2011 world championship. So I'm kind of in the middle of my, my third mountain right now. And I'm doing that because I, I really feel like, on a spiritual level, that kind of intensity, it, um, it sharpens things. And it, it again, it, it really keeps me as true as I possibly can be to, to my learning process. 
How much, how much uh, time do you spend playing chess nowadays? I don't really play chess much these days. I develop a, a computer chess program called Chess Master, which I've been doing for a long time, where I, I'm teaching chess to people on a large scale, but I'm teaching mostly learning principles. Like I'm designing a, designing a course now called The Art of Learning based on my book for the new program, and I'm not teaching chess so much as t- teaching the connection between chess and life. Because ultimately, you know, a lot of people have children who, who get involved in these disciplines, whether they're chess or music or anything, and odds are the kids aren't going to be doing that for the rest of their lives. The most important thing for the kid is to learn a relationship to learning itself and to learn to search out these thematic connections between whatever they're doing. And, um, and that kind of a vision for the interconnectedness of these different disciplines is what, is what I'm very involved in. And frankly, like you mentioned, I, I think that's what I'm best at. So when, was, was there a, a, an epiphany you had at some point where you sort of realized that this was what your study and learning was about? And was it was this an evolutionary sort of self-awareness? Did, did one day there was a, a, a bank robbery next door and that crystallized your thinking into saying, I really am good at learning? Well, yeah, the first couple of years of my martial arts training were very interesting because at first I got into it just to get away from the pressures of the chess world. And I was meditating. I was a beginner in this room um, of people meditating and learning the Tai Chi form. And as I got into it, more and more I started to feel all of my chess ideas expressing themselves through my martial training, which was very interesting. And then I had this experience about two years into my, my martial arts life, which was that moment you're describing. I was in Memphis doing a fundraiser for muscular dystrophy, which I've been working with for about 10 years. And I was playing a simultaneous chess exhibition, which is you're playing in a big square of 40 boards. I'm playing 40 boards at once, and my opponents are all playing one game. So you make a move, you walk to the next one, and you play that game, and they're all thinking about the position. And I was about two hours into this exhibition, and I had this realization that I wasn't playing chess. I was playing well. I was winning all the games. But I was... It's strange. I was feeling flow. I was feeling space left behind. I was, I was thinking about the chess games without chess language in the language of the martial arts. And I had this, it was, an, it was this kind of epiphanous moment for me where I realized that, that the connections between these different things, you know, that was what I was really in love with. It wasn't one discipline or another. It was the, the fundamental vision and sensation of interconnectedness that I was fascinated with. When you, when you go into this flow, I mean, is there color? Is there sound? Is there... Shape. I mean, is it uh, is it a is it a, a, a physical feeling of some kind? It's an intuitive feeling. It's it's. I, I mean, the, actually, the the film which did a good job capturing this. You know, of course, there are elements of it which are which are different. But the Matrix is an interesting division of it. You know, you have this this feeling of incredible complexity. If you think about it through chess, you look at it and you you're calculating over the course of when you're doing a chess study, you spend sometimes 20, 30, 40 hours in a single position trying to understand it. And that's a position which came from a tournament game of yours which you didn't really understand. So a moment where I didn't feel like my, my chess wisdom was up to the challenge. And I dive into the position deeper and deeper and deeper. And over the course of the hours, I'm studying what a computer would consider literally trillions of positions because it's so incredibly complex. And then there's this moment where it all falls away and you have this understanding. You go back to the initial position that you just didn't understand and you just see the correct move. And you can't necessarily explain it. And it feels like your chess wisdom has expanded. It feels like you have a, a deeper sense for the pulse of everything. It's fascinating. And you just, you know, when chess players, or certain types of intuitive chess players, and I've always been an intuitive, creative, um, more literary, poetic chess player, more than a mathematical one. And when I describe a chess position or if I'm analyzing it, I'll think of it in terms of flow, like a hand gesture, or like, like a breeze, or like a, a leaf falling, or a bird flying. I don't think about it in terms of numbers or variations. So was this a, 
was it then difficult to work on a computer program where you then have to cook up algorithms to describe a breeze, a hand gesture? <laughs> well, I always disliked computer chess initially because I felt like computers were going to destroy the human side of the game. I always loved the psychological connection between players. And what I came to then was the idea 10 years ago when I started working with this was, okay, I was going to use computers to bring out the human side of the game. So I have all this interactive instructional material in the program where I begin with a, a certain principle like filling space left behind, or like the psychological connection between opponents. And I bring that connection out through chess positions, through discussion of the human ideas. And so, you know, ultimately there's no reason I feel to fight technology. We have to use it to make our, our human relationship to the world better. That's the idea that I came to. Now what about a computer opponent in Tai Chi? Oh, God. <laughs> like a martial arts computer program. Like a martial arts computer program. Like a transformer, you mean? Yeah. Or, or, or what is this? Is this this, this uh, Wii thing where, where people, it's a sort of a stand-up video game where you sort of move around and challenge something on a screen? I've never enjoyed competing against uh, computers in any way, competing against computers. I love to compete against human beings in everything because I'm not sure how I'd compete against a computer in a martial arts. In chess, obviously, you can. I love the feeling of intense human connection and um, experiencing the, the interconnectedness of the minds again. Because that's what happens, you know, for example, when you're in both a chess experience or a martial arts experience or a baseball or anything else, you know, there's the technical reality, the objective reality of what's happening in the position or on the field, but there's also the mental connection, which ultimately gets, becomes more important and transcends. And so if two opponents, you'll often find that two opponents are sharing the same insight and the same illusion when they're playing, for example, a chess game. And then when one mind sees the solution, the other mind suddenly sees the solution. And there's this very interesting, somewhat bizarre, maybe you could relate it somehow to, to kind of a, a sense of, of quantum non-locality, it's difficult to describe, where you have this interconnectedness of minds, and they, um, they're sharing this dance. And you're playing a chess game, you're sitting across from someone for three or four or five or six hours, and you're, you're focusing your entire energy on this board, and there's this energetic connection because you're just a few feet away over all this time. And it, you get to know someone incredibly deeply when you're competing against them in, in either thing. You know, the guy who I competed against in the finals of the World Championships in 2004 in the martial arts, it was the most brutal experience of my life, the most grueling. My, afterwards, I couldn't lift my shoulders. I was all ripped up. It took me six months to recover physically from it. My opponent's arm broke in the, in the final moment. It was, it, we were tearing each other limb from limb. But afterwards, after it was over, we hugged. And we had this amazing sense of, of love between us. And we sat around for like an hour talking afterwards and comparing stories. And it was an amazing experience. You know, there's this fierce competition. But among people who I've related to who compete in both of these disciplines or, you know, in, in any of these things, you, more than anything, you're, you're having this merging of, of human spirits. It's very profound. And I like that phrase, quantum non-locality. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but it sounds like the Tai Chi was sort of quantum locality in a way. I mean, well, a, a big thing that I that I wrote about in this book, you know, is the idea of the illusion of the mystical. It's breaking. You know, a lot of you have masters who can do certain things. For example, controlling the intention of the opponent, or making someone fall down or throw themselves on the floor without touching them. And people can talk about this energetically with language like chi, like they're using their chi to throw somebody across the room. And I, I've always been somebody who wants to break down the nonsense in the learning process. And I, I've seen people do incredible things, and a big part of my challenge, and a big reason why I honestly started competing in, in Tai Chi was because I wanted to I wanted to have my mind blown by somebody who could do something that was outside of my conceptual scheme. And what I've come to is this idea that you can do truly incredible things with systematic incremental training. And I write about, for example, the idea of controlling the intention of the opponent. I write about the idea of 
For example, I have a chapter called Making Smaller Circles, where I talk about this idea, which manifests in chess as well. But in the martial arts, it's like you have a very large motion, that ultimately you get this feeling from doing this traditional motion, then you condense it more and more and more and more until it's very potent, very tight. The body mechanics are so profound, though, that you can have a very powerful physical effect with very little motion. And in would I want to meet you in a dark alley? Probably not. You, it would be fine. I'm a, I'm a peaceful guy. I never get into fights. I'm a nonviolent martial artist completely. In both the brutal world of Tai Chi and of chess. The book is called A Journey in the Pursuit of Excellence, The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Thanks very much for being on West Coast Live. Thank you for having me, sir. Thank you very much. This is Sedge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.